What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15, verse 9. John chapter 15, verse 9. Let's go ahead and look at it. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. Let that sink in. John 15, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus is saying that the same way that the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves you. That is an amazing statement. That is a powerful statement. That's a statement that we're incapable as humans to even understand the depths of what that means because the love of the Father is just a mind-blowing thing. And then he says to abide in my love or stay in my love. Now, the, the, the reason why we're here, before we get into Song of Songs chapter 4, is because I feel like this is really the, the loving affirmation from God that we all need to have if we're going to walk as the children of God with the freedom that we're called to walk in. And so keep your place here. Turn to John 16. So it's just one chapter over. John 16, uh, verse 32. John 16, verse 32. And before we read, though, let me remind you of the context. This is the last night that Jesus was with with the disciples, John 13 through John 17. He's been with them for three years, but... John 13 through 17 is one night, one night, the night that he was going to be betrayed uh, by Judas. And so in the middle of that, he says, hey, I want you guys to know something. As the Father loves me, so I've loved you. But then he continues on and he says this to them. He says, John 16, 32, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. And will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus' motive was, he knew he was going to be betrayed. Their hearts were going to be troubled, but he wanted them to walk in peace. Well, those words should give them peace. Those words should give you peace. And here's the words. Behold, that hour is coming and you're going to be scattered. Do you think that brought them peace? I don't know about you, but I'd be offended. No way, Jesus. I'm not going to leave you. In fact, we know Peter in his heart, he cut off that that one guy's ear, right? And so their intention wasn't that they were going to leave. They believed, no, we love you. We've been walking with you for three years. We're never going to leave you, Jesus. That was in their heart. But he says to them, you're all going to leave me. Imagine that if you're hanging with people that you've known for over three years, you've loved them perfectly, and then they left you at your greatest need, at your greatest time of need. How would you be posturing towards them? What would your heart be towards them? Think about this for a second. Now let's go back to John 15, 9. Would your heart posture and your attitude towards them be like this? As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. 
If you knew that somebody was going to betray you after you've done them no wrong and you've loved them perfectly for three years, you've served them, you washed their feet, you fed them, you've done miracles, you've taught them, you've protected them. I don't know about you. I don't know if I would say, as the fathers love me, I, I love you. I, I, I don't think I would love like that. Now, here's the thing, church, that we have to get. God's love for us, it doesn't depend on our performance. It doesn't depend on what we do or don't do. He loves us despite us. He loves us despite our mistakes and our faults. And he is saying here, I love you the same way that my father loves me. You see, in John 16, and also with Peter, Jesus says, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But yet, Jesus still died for Peter. Jesus still loved Peter. And then here in John 15, 9, he's saying, I still love you guys, even though you're going to abandon me and leave me. And really, you're going to be sellouts. See, we, we don't get that. We think because of our behavior, we think because, man, I've never done X, Y, and Z, or I'm not this super missionary, that God can't love me a certain way. No, 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 listen. God loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because God is love. And this is why we're going through the Song of Songs. I want you to go ahead and turn there right now. Song of Songs, chapter 4. The first seven verses of chapter four are words of affirmation. And affirmation is the way that God is choosing to change this weak and imperfect bride. As if we've talked about before, that, that the, the king represents Christ and the bride in this story uh, represents the church. And so, he is affirming, 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 and we're going to see here as well, after the affirmation, he's going to call her to hard things. Now, think for a minute, husbands and wives, do you feel like you are a person that is pointing out things that are wrong, or do you affirm? Can you look past the faults? Can you look past the things? When you're parenting with your kids, are you always picking out what's wrong, or are you a person that is always affirming, always building up, always believing? It doesn't mean we don't correct, but you've got to look at the scope of things, and I think we can learn a lot from this text. Like, when I think of uh, Gideon, who was the smallest of his clan, he was under a tree, he was fearful, and here comes the angel of the Lord in Judges chapter 6, and he comes down and he says, hey, mighty man of valor, mighty man of valor, you know, he's speaking to this guy who's like, I'm not a mighty man of valor, don't you know me? And a lot of times the biggest problem in the church is that we don't see ourselves like God sees us. We're viewing us from our lens. We're not viewing ourselves from his lens. And if you don't walk through the book of Song of Solomon asking God, God, help me to see myself like you see me, you're going to miss out on what's in this book. And this affects our walk and our lifestyle. The reason why many of us, and I could put myself in here, don't come when he calls, it's because we're not convinced of his love. 
See, the love of God, it's not a temporary mood swing between acts of judgments. No, God's love is consistent. His love endures forever. He loves you no matter how many times you fail and no matter how immature you are right now. And even in your futile attempts at times to be a really good disciple, he still loves us and it doesn't change depending upon our behavior or our performance. And so this love can be transforming. This love can be something that is life-changing. And this is why the cross is so important. Romans 5.8 declares, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross screams, I love you while you were stuck in sin. And so I pray that the love of God would just be poured out in this place today and that you would really, really receive God's, God's love in a way that that you're transformed. And so let's get into it. Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Behold, behold. It's kind of like, stop. I want you to listen to me. It's like he's grabbing your cheeks and saying, come here, look into my eyes. You are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Now, I want, I want, I want to challenge you to write down what number we're on There's another beautiful, and there's another beautiful. We're supposed to be counting them out, so you should be tracking those. If you don't know what number we're on, guess what? Go back and read the whole uh, first four chapters and just write down every single time he says you're beautiful. Why the repetition? Well, because we need to meditate on it. We need to receive it. We need to hear it over and over again until we begin to believe it. When I think about my life, I can honestly say so much of my time has been wasted on shame or guilt or condemning myself because of bad performances when the blood of Christ has covered that. And and, and, and if I evaluate my time this past week, how much of of your time was spent focusing on negative thoughts about how you're doing throughout the day. Imagine if you track that. And then imagine if you tracked how much of your thought life this week has been spent on receiving affirmation from how God loves you. Like Psalm 16.3, oh, the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Man, how much of my week has been spent on the fact that I am a saint, I am excellent, and all of God's delight is in me. All of his delight, yeah, all of his delight. Because man, if I focus on that, that's gonna shift me out of probably depression. But if I focus on what I'm not doing, what I should be doing, what I could have done, the mistakes I've made, And all of a sudden, I'm in a negative place. And so he speaks here. You are beautiful. You are beautiful, my love. Um, We've got to be able to receive what God is declaring over us. And you need to cry out, help me, God. Help me to believe how you see me. Let's look at 1B. It says this. It says, your eyes, they're doves. Now, again, I want to remind you 
With the dove, there's three things. Number one, they don't have any peripheral vision, so they, so they, they cannot see. They're, they're, they're just focused. And he says, your eyes are just locked in on me, and I love it, and I love it so much. It also, the dove, represents they have one partner, and so they'll have one partner, but if their partner dies, they'll never get married again because... Like doves get married, but uh, because they just have, they'll mate with one partner and that's it. So they're extremely loyal. And then when you, the third thing is, when you think of a dove, you think of purity, right? Like a pure dove. There's just something pure and gentle and loving about that. And he's saying, when I look into your eyes, your eyes are like doves. I see those things. I see how much you love me. And then it says, one C. It says, it says, behind your veil, uh, the veil, it represents her covering before God. It represents her humility before God. This is a bridal veil, and this bridal veil speaks of that I am only for you. Um, I wish our marriages would go back to the old school where the woman would wear a veil, and the dad walks the woman down the aisle, and she's wearing a veil. What that represents is that veil is there. It's put there by her father, who's in authority over her, and he's walking her down the aisle. But then when he hands off the authority, what he does is he lifts the father, who has the authority, lifts the veil and says, here you go. Here's my daughter. She's no longer under my authority. She's under your authority, and... The authority's transferred. That's what happens in marriage. That's what the veil is for. It's not just a fashion statement. That's what it represents. And so what he's saying here is that you are mine. You're under my authority. Your veil, it it, it represents your humility, and you're under my covering, and you're so beautiful to me. Let's keep going here. Uh, Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Now, uh, that's a, you know, ladies, I don't know if that's encouraging or not. I recommend fellas that are single don't ever come up on a chick and say, hey, your hair's like a flock of goats. But um, this is what Scripture is saying. Uh, Something interested about the slopes of Gilead The slopes of Gilead were where the goats and the lambs awaited sacrifice at the temple. And so just maybe, just maybe he's saying, man, you're becoming like me. You're becoming a living sacrifice, you know? Now, some commentators did say that the the goats leaping down, there would be a, a, uh, a stately stride as they would do that, but the sun would shimmer off the back of the goats from a distance, and it would look like a, like a, like a milky uh, cascade. I don't know about all that, but anyway, let's move on from goat hair. Uh, verse 2, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ooze that have come up from washing, all of which bear twins, and not one of them has lost its young. And so what he's saying is, hey, they are pure, they are white, none are missing, and it's a basic foundation of something that's going to be a theme here, that there's no flaw that's here. There's no flaw that's here. 
And so let's go on to verse 3. It says, your lips, they are like a scarlet thread. Uh, I want you to highlight scarlet. Um, Scarlet in the Old Testament was a picture, a scarlet strand was a picture of the redemption of the blood of Jesus, foreshadowing when, when Jesus would come. The picture comes from Jericho, where Rahab the prostitute helped the Israeli spies, but she put a scarlet strand out of her window that actually was a signal that saved and brought salvation to her whole family because that was the signal that brought redemption. And so he is saying, your lips, your lips are like a scarlet thread. It redeems me. It redeems me. And, uh, and also, uh, I want you to jot this down. We don't have time to turn there, but Psalm 45.2. Psalm 45.2, it is a messianic psalm. And, um, and, and so it says this. It says, you are the most handsome of the sons of men. Now, keep in mind here the context of where we are. He starts off four one of Song of Songs, and he says, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. Well, Psalm 45 is a messianic song talking about Jesus and what is being said. Not you're the most beautiful, but you're the most handsome. And this is speaking of Christ. So you see how Christ receives. You see how he gives. It's, it's, it's if you are going to be a person that affirms, you have to have received that, infer- that affirmation because you can't give what you haven't received. And so I just want to encourage you with that. So let me finish Psalm 45, 2 there. It says, you are the most handsome of the sons of man, and grace is poured out upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. And so you see here, grace is poured out upon the lips of Jesus. And so Song of Songs 4.3, he says, your lips are like scarlet thread, like a redemption. What is that? That's the grace of God. And so as he's affirming her with that verse, Psalm 45, verse 2 comes in and says, basically, hey, your lips, they are just like my lips. My lips are grace poured out. Your lips are scarlet thread. What's happening here? As we continue to commune in our oneness and in our love, me and you, we got the same kind of lips. Me and you, we're becoming like one another. Let's go to 3B. It says, and your mouth, your mouth is lovely. This reminds me of chapter 1 where he says, She says, let me know the kisses of your mouth. This was the first way in which the mouth was introduced in this love song with the kisses of the mouth. And so this represents intimacy with God. See, lips, lips refer to speech, but her mouth is connected with the kiss. And so this kiss is representing not just words, because words do create intimacy, but there's a deeper level of intimacy, the deeper things of God that are beyond words where it's mouth to mouth. Let's go down to verse 3. It says, your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate, 
behind your veil. And so you're still that veil, you're still under my authority. And your cheeks, your cheeks are where your emotions uh, show up. And so you be, be, uh, you're impacted by the grace of God. It should show on, on, on your face. And so look at the pomegranate for a second. Pomegranates are no good unless they're broken. You might want to write that down. Pomegranates are no good unless they're broken. Listen, we are not very good unless we're broken either. And once these pomegranates are broken, inside they're very red and they're very, they're very sweet. And so the brokenness of the pomegranate produces a sweetness to be enjoyed and so, jot this down as well, Isaiah 66, 2, it says, But this is the one whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. And so, Scripture here is saying in Isaiah 66, 2, God looks upon the humble and the contrite in spirit. Another translation says, the broken in spirit. God loves brokenness. He loves the humility of a person that is broken and bent over before him. And when he sees that, he wants to taste the sweetness just as if he's eaten a pomegranate that's been broken. And I don't know about you, disciple, but are you broken before God? Are you broken in such a way where you produce a sweetness in your life? You know, people that aren't broken yet, they think they got it all together. Uh, they think they can do it on their own, right? They have that kind of, I pull myself by my own, uh, up by my own bootstrap, right? Those kind of people that, that are successful, but they think there's a success depends upon them. I don't know about you, but is there a sweetness to them? No, a lot of times there's a pride and an arrogance. Hey, look at me, look at what I did. But people that are broken, man, hey, I'm here because of the grace of God. Uh, The Apostle Paul was sweetly broken. He says that I am the chief of all sinners. I am the worst of the worst. Like he was sweetly broken before God. And so, Lord, may we, may we be people that are broken before you. Let's go down to verse 4. So Song of Songs 4, verse 4. We're really moving today, baby. It says, your neck, and I want you to highlight neck, is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. So again, the neck represents free will. Your neck can either be stiff-necked, meaning I'm giving resistance, or it can be submissive. And so as a way of a reminder, when a king conquered and defeated another nation, he would put his foot on the neck of a king that he conquered. This showed both his dominance and it showed and declared to everyone that the other kingdom was under total submission to the king with the foot on the neck of the defeated king. That's what it speaks. And so because 
her neck, her neck is not stiff neck, but it's pliable. She's under her authority. She's his. He begins to describe her neck. The Tower of David. So a scripture, um, I can't remember where it is, but it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they're safe. So towers, they represent a safe place. And he is saying, baby, you are a safe place to me, but not just a safe place that's soft and cute and cuddly, but the Tower of David. David was a mighty warrior. David was strong. And, and, and not only was David a, a mighty, strong warrior, but also it says here, built in rows of stone. Man, stone is, is a strong substance. It's a durable substance. It's going to take a pounding. But not only on this stone, but then there's hanging a thousand shields, all of them shields of a warrior. This represents protection, right? And so what he's saying is, because of the weakness of your neck, you're completely submitted to me. This has made you into a tower, a safe fortress, a mighty fortress with rows of stones and shields, a place of might and a place of strength. How does that make sense? A broken neck or a neck that is submitted becomes a place of strength and a strong tower. See, this reminds me of the beatitude, um, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is not weak, it's power under control, and it gives a picture of a mighty stallion that if, if it was in here just running loose, it could kill people. It's a fearful, ferocious animal, but when that animal is fully trained, it comes underneath the leadership of a little rope on its neck, the bit in its mouth. And a well-trained stallion, all you have to do is move that rope this way, and then the horse will go that way. If you move the rope that way, the horse will go that way. And this huge 2,000-pound animal, you know, I don't know how much a horse weighs, but, uh, and by the way, don't call a girl a horse either. Um, no goats here, no horse. But you come under con the control of the, of the Holy Spirit. Your neck is not stiff-necked, and you actually become so strong. When I am weak, when I'm weak, then he is strong. When I fully embrace and understand my need for him, my meekness, I, I want to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. I'm surrendering. I'm following. When you begin to move like that, all of a sudden you become a place of strength. You become a mighty tower, and there's rows of stone and shields of a warrior like the Tower of David, and people will run to you and find safety because of your neck. That's what he's saying here. Um, as I prayed about this passage as well, uh, Toby, um, 
Damas, who attends our church, continued to come to my mind because he's, he, he has a neck issue. Somebody, uh, somebody hugged him too hard, and it actually did something to his neck, and he's been in a, in a neck brace. And many of us have been praying for healing. Um, we've been crying out for healing, and uh, we're asking God that you would just heal. But Toby, if you're listening to this now... Um, I just want to say to you, as I've seen you go through a situation where your neck has kind of been broken, the maturity and the strength and how you've been pressing in as a man of God has been so beautiful to see through the weakness that you've experienced, you've actually become really, really strong. And it's just been amazing to see. You've been an example to my life. You have become like a hero to me because you're handling something that was done to you that was not done in malicious intent. It was just a strange accident that happened. But the beauty that has come out of that is the same thing that I see here in verse 4. And so it's my prayer that you would receive Song of Songs 4, verse 4, as a, as a word for you to encourage you that, hey man, this is how we see you. This is how we look at you. You are like the Tower of David. You are uh, like a building with a row of stone with a thousand shields, shields of a warrior hanging off it. So be encouraged, my brother. So now we're at verse 5. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Now, remember, the lilies represent purity. So there's purity here, right? The purity. She was a, she was a lily among thorns, right? She was a lily among thorns. That was chapter 2. And so lilies represent um, just a, a beautiful purity and an innocence, right? Um, when we talk of breasts, now you got to keep in mind not to be, uh, you know, you got to get out of the flesh. You've got to kind of have a spiritual mind around things. And in, in Titus, it says that to the pure, all things are pure, but those who are, who are not pure uh, or, or who are undefiled, everything is undefiled. So make sure you say, okay, what is the mind of God here? Well, when you, when you look at breasts, if you will, they're, they have the power to edify and the power to, to nurture others. And so the mother's milk nourishes her baby. Um, and so this is, this is coming from the breast. And so Scripture may be declaring here that, man, you are able to nurture me with what comes out of you. With what comes out of you, you nurture me, you nourish me, and there's a purity in that. That's what the the, the lilies are, right? And so, um, and so, 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 disciple, listen. Are you the kind of person that when people walk away from a meeting with you, do they feel like uh, they're nourished? Do, do, do they feel like, man, I, I, am, I am so glad I met with that person. I just feel so lifted up. I feel so encouraged. Now, we know every conversation can't be like that because there's some hard conversations that you need to have. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm just asking you, man, when people walk away from you, do they feel nourished? 
Or they walk away from you and go buy that t-shirt. Hey, got milk, got milk, I need milk, I'm on empty, right? No, let's be the kind of people that nourish one another and love one another. And use our gifts to enhance the body of Christ so that we're refreshing and we're edifying to one another in love. That's how we're called to be. And and he is saying, you nourish me, you edify me. Let's go to verse six. It says, until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. So this mountain of myrrh, myrrh is the burial uh, spice that they would put on a body. Remember, gold, frankincense, and myrrh was given to King Jesus, right? And so when we walk like Jesus, we're going to be like Jesus. When we go away with Jesus, we'll become like him. And he's saying, I'm going to go away to the mountain of myrrh. Mountains are hard to climb. Hills are hard to climb. And he's saying, I just affirmed you. I affirmed you. You're beautiful. Um, you have dove's eyes behind this veil. And he's, he's just affirming her up. But, but now he's saying, hey, you know what? I want you to come to the mountains of myrrh. Like this could potentially be a hard thing. Um, this could be a costly thing. I'm just letting you know as you walk with me, everything is not going to be um, buttercups and lilies and roses all the time. There, there, there's actually going to be some mountains here. And I think that's one of the things that um, Christians sometimes miss with a gospel that's been watered down. Uh, Jesus and following him is going to cost you. Um, there's going to be some really hard things that you're going to have to embrace because remember, the disciple is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. And so as we follow Jesus, man, there's going to be mountains. There's also going to be valleys, but there's also going to be times of refreshing where there's an oasis, you know, but then there'll be times of deserts. And so we've got to be prepared for this. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3.10. He says, that I may know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And so Paul understood, I may know him. Yeah, that's Song of Songs. We want to know him. We want to see that affirmation. But to know him, but also to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Yeah, that's part of Christianity, disciple, that you're going to have to go through the things that he went through. Listen, this is what he said. If they called the owner of the house Beelzebub, which means the devil, by the way, how much more will they malign you? If they hated me and my words, they're going to hate you and your words. He says, when they persecute you, not if, but when they persecute you, in Matthew 5, uh, 11 and 12, when they do that, bless them, bless them. Don't retaliate, bless them. Uh, Romans 8, 16, Paul writes again, he says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and and fellow heirs with Christ. Like, hey, this is all really, really good news. Children and heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. But then it says, 
in verse 16 of Romans 8, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Wait a minute. Before the glory of the resurrection, there was the suffering of the cross. Hey, guys, we're called to bring God glory, but understand part of that is going to be through times of suffering. And because, let's go back to songs, Song of Songs, um, chapter 4, verse 6. He's basically, in context here, affirming verse 1, affirming verse 2, affirming verse 3, affirming verse 4, affirming verse 5. But hey, verse 6, there's going to be some suffering up in these mountains of myrrh, in the hill of frankincense. But guess what? I want you with me in that. I'm going to be with you in that. And so the affirmation gets us ready for when the hard time comes. If you believe that you're the most beautiful, when they tell you that you're ugly, you're not going to receive it because you're convinced of your beauty. And that's what's going on here in context. And here's verse 7. Here's where we're going to end today. We're going to land the plane today. And so, by the way, this is my verse for the week. It says, you are altogether beautiful. So highlight that again. That's another time he said beautiful. Altogether beautiful? Altogether? Everything about you is just beautiful. Everything. And then he says, my love, my. That speaks to ownership. Man, he has a passion for her. And God has a passion for you. And then he says this phrase here. And if you could just highlight this, there is no flaw in you. Hey, I want you to turn to your neighbor, turn to your spouse, turn to whoever is by you, and just say, hey, there is no flaw in you. No flaw? Now, when we hear that, how many people can really receive that through and through? You know, like, yeah, I, I know doctrinally that's true, but let me tell you about all my flaws. See, that, that's the thing. It's... We know this is truth, but can we receive it? Can we really, really, really receive it? Let me go ahead and bring you to a few places here, because I want to end with some good, solid doctrine. And so the first place that I want you to turn is 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And these are key verses that you need to really spend time meditating on so that you can really believe that there's no flaw in you. So here we go. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, and this is what I want you to highlight, please. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it? Yeah, all of it. All of the past, all of the present, and all of the future. Remember John fifteen nine. I love you like the Father loves you, even though... 
in the future, like tonight, you're all going to betray me, but my love doesn't change in real time because of your behavior. I love you, I love you, I love you, because there's no flaw in you. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And this is what forgiveness is, but a lot of us don't. We throw up forgiveness like we understand it. No, unless you receive forgiveness, that your sins, they're gone. They're cleansed. They're removed. We don't really understand it. And so there's no flaw in you. If you understand forgiveness, you understand that there's no flaw in you. They're gone. Your flaws are gone. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2, please. Colossians chapter 2, and look at uh, verse 13. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And remember, we're going through this because I really want you to believe there's no flaw in you. It says, and you who are dead in your trespasses, another word for sin, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, and I want you to highlight this, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. So again, trespasses are sin. All of your sins are forgiven. Highlight that. But don't just stop with the highlighter. Look at verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. So every record, that time you lied, that time you stole, that time you told a half-truth, that time you cowered and you didn't tell the truth at all, uh, that time you didn't show up at all, that time you cheated on that test, that time you, and I could keep going down the list of infractions in my life and your life, but guess what? Everything that I ever done, I'm 50 years old, that whole list, it's wiped out. It's on the cross of Jesus Christ. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. And I meet people who maybe went through a divorce years ago or maybe had an an abortion when they were in a bad situation and they've asked Jesus to forgive them. They believe he has, but yet they think they can't speak about abortion or speak about divorce because what they did defines them. And let me just submit to you, you don't understand forgiveness if you're walking like that. Please don't do that, Christian. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. That is not what defines you anymore. There is no flaw in you. You have been forgiven. It is done with. And God needs you to say, hey, listen, this is what I did. This is what I've done. This is how I would do it differently. And I wouldn't do it again, but I've repented. I'm forgiven. I'm changed. And he can change you. Your testimony is needed. Your story is needed. But because we don't understand, we're forgiven and there's no flaw in us. We don't speak and people don't walk in the freedom that God calls us to walk in. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's go ahead and turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he is a new creation. Say, I'm a new creation. Say, I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, 
the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, as ambassadors of Christ, uh, God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Christ, to be, no, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So there's key things here. The old is gone, the new has come. You're forgiven. There's no flaw in you. Look at verse 19. Not counting their trespasses against them. You're forgiven. They're gone. There's no flaw in you. You're reconciled. You're the righteousness of God. Verse 21. You're the righteousness of God. There's no flaw in you. You are declared righteous. You are declared holy because of the blood of Jesus. And so why was this my verse this week? It's because as I asked you to think through your week, how much have you been negative about your performance? What you could have done better. I wish I would have done this. And you just, ah, what's wrong with me? Why do I keep doing that? And you just and you just kind of stay mad because you wanted to be up here, but you were down here. Ah, what I want to encourage you to do is, hey, you may want to do something up here and then you do it down here. Just say, Lord, I, forgive me for that. I blew it really, really bad this week. Forgive me. And receive the forgiveness and say, Jesus, you can make me do this next time. The next time I have something, you can bring me to that place. I had a, a meeting that I knew going in, hey, Chris, this is going to be tough. Just don't respond at all. And I, I went in, focused on that, and guess what? My flesh got the best of me, and I began to respond I began to walk in an immature way. Jesus didn't respond to his accusers. And so the later that day, I felt guilt. I felt shame. What, man, why do I keep doing it? And, I, and, I, and then, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's no flaw in you. Receive forgiveness. Just repent. Just repent. You're not as humble as you thought you were, Chris. Thank you, Jesus, that I got exposed. I knew what to do, but I couldn't pull it off. Oh, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for reminding me of the cross. And, and I want to encourage you, and we'll just kind of close in this because I want to pray this over you. Man, take this, this one little verse right here and just receive it deep within your spirit that there's no flaw in you. Or maybe there's another verse in this passage. But guys, if we're just going through this book and we're not asking God to burn something into us and we don't walk differently, then we're missing. We're missing. Because God wants to walk, wants us to walk convinced of his love. So when it's time to jump out of the boat, we jump with an excitement because we're convinced of his love. 
And so I'm going to pray this over you now as we close, that there is no flaw in you. Jesus, I just pray this over every believer that is in Christ Jesus because they are covered by your blood. They have been forgiven and all of their trespasses are gone. And because of that, you speak over them. There is no flaw in them. There's no flaw in them. And God, I pray that you would help them to receive. I pray against just any blocks, any walls that are up, even false words or accusations that's been spoken over them in their life. We come against those things in the name of Jesus, and we just smash them down by the power of Christ. And we ask, God, that you would just burn in them burn in them this reality, this truth that there is no flaw. There is no flaw. There is no flaw in you, beloved. You are mine. Your eyes are doves. You are beautiful behind that veil. You are altogether beautiful, my love, my precious one. There is no flaw in you. God, draw us in to your love so that we walk fully convinced Fully convinced, Jesus, that we are your bride. We are your bride. Help us to know the depths of what that means so that we walk on a different plane in this world. We actually walk in the reality that we are loved by you. I pray, John 15, 9, over our church as well, that we would be convinced that Jesus, you love us the same way the Father loves you. We don't know what that means, but I pray that you would help us to abide in that love just like you said. We lay this down at your feet now. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.